Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, presentations, gestures, part one. Here we go. Mark, you've often said that presentation skills is something that every manager ought to be coaching all their directs on, right? Oh, please, can we talk for six hours about this? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things that it's important. And I've learned after many, many years of presenting with you or better, better watching you present (laughs) how how nuanced it is and how, how, um, and not to blow smoke, but how a world-class presenter thinks about presenting. And there's just a million things you could, you could be thinking about in terms of connecting with the audience and presenting. Yeah. Yet as complex as it, as it can be, there are some simple things that folks can do to immediately improve how well they do presentations. And a real simple one is gestures. Yeah. And, and gestures are so much a part of people's people don't think about gesturing. I tell the people this all the time that people who are born blind, who are not sighted and will never see gesture when they speak, gesturing is a part of speaking. So therefore it's a part of presenting. And because it's part of our personalities, we don't really think that our gestures are good or bad. They're just part of us. And yet they can be changed and they're not hard to change and they make a big difference. Now, look, we've got four parts for this cast. Uh, number one, we want you to make eye contact. It's a huge part of presenting. And there's some simple things you can do to be better at it. Number two, you've got to use better. And, and in fact, unfortunately, folks, bigger facial expressions. You've got to do more there. Number three, you've got to increase the size of gestures that support your message. And then number four, you've got to eliminate negative gestures. Whenever we talk about presenting, I want to hammer home a fundamental point. All great presentations, folks, are about the audience. That's the answer. Remember, communication is what the listener does. If you think you're presenting well, but your audience doesn't like it and they don't think it's good, then you didn't present well. It's as simple as that. So in order to be a great presenter, It has to be the audience's decision. That's what makes you great. The audience's response, their willingness to do what you want them to do or think what you want them to think or feel what you want them to feel. There are really three steps to that, but nobody, nobody thinks about it. The first step is knowing your content. And most people have made that into nothing more than putting a deck together. I mean, just the idea that putting a deck together is an answer to content is a joke, okay? Strike one, okay? You have to do more than that when it comes to content. Okay, you have to know your content so well, you don't have to think about it anymore. Oh, you mean we just don't read the slides on the... Yeah, the, the, oh okay. my gosh, the okay. whole slide reading thing. Okay, all right, just just, just checking. <laughs> and, and, then the, and then the second thing is after content, then you have to know how to present, how to physically present, how to talk, how to speak, how to walk, how to gesture, how to make facial expressions, all that stuff. That's the second part. And then when you've mastered those two things, you have a shot at being great because those things disappear and you can focus on your audience. I I use the example of the Pledge of Allegiance in the United States. I I start the sentence, I pledge allegiance to the flag, and everybody who's who went to American schools as a kid can say, to the flag of the United States of America, blah, 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 right? That's how good you have to be with your content 
and with your presenting style before you have a shot at being great because greatness is in the minds of the audience. And if you don't have to think about your presentation style or the content, you can focus on how the audience is hearing you. So I'm sorry, guys, I had to say that after I went over the outline of the show, because every single time we talk about presenting, I'm going to say that again, there are three parts, there's content, there's you presenting, and there's the audience, and you have to master the first two to have a shot at greatness, which is the third part, which is what the audience thinks. That's how you get good. Is that guy paying attention to me? Why did I have a bunch of funny faces just now? What what did I just say that was off-putting to the audience? You can't do that if you're worried about your deck. You can't do that if you're worried about your content or whether or not your arms are where they're supposed to be. It's too much. All right. I'm off my soapbox now. (laughs) Guys, you're going to hear that soapbox every time we talk about presenting. And as Mike said, most people are awful at it. But you don't have to be a god at it. You just have to be better than everybody else. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed person is king or queen. All right, enough. Let's start with eye contact. Look, the most basic presentation guidance I can give you is make eye contact with your audience. Here's something that'll shock you. Presentations are essentially a conversation between two individuals. You don't really mean that. I mean, you're, you're talking about like a, you're talking about if you're doing a presentation for your boss sitting across her desk, that's what you're talking no, about. No, no, I'm talking about a hundred people in the room. hundred people. No, no, let's not even do a hundred because that just scares people and they're like, Oh no, I never would do that. No, it's only 10 people or 15 people in the conference room. Okay. 10 or 15 people. Let's call that a presentation just for, just for grins. Okay. Yeah. That presentation is a conversation between two individuals. Okay. We call the audience a group. So we can make it a singular entity and it's me versus the group or me and the group. But you can't talk to a group. The group doesn't exist because if one person is on their BlackBerry and not hearing you, and it's not the end of the world if one person is on their BlackBerry during your presentation for 30 seconds. But if one person is not listening, then the group suddenly changed from 15 to 14. And then, oh, by the way, two other people got involved in a side conversation. So now it's 13. No, actually, it's 12 because the other guy's not done with his BlackBerry. The group doesn't exist. It's an amorphous thing. You can't talk to the group. The group doesn't give you feedback about whether they're hearing you or not. Only individuals in the group do. When you're presenting, you're presenting to a bunch of individuals. It happens simultaneously, but it's also one at a time. Every person in the audience is having a different experience with you. And you're responsible, not for all of their responses, but for each of their responses. The mistake we make is say, oh, all of their responses were this. And then we say, so therefore the response was this thing I'm saying about the experience. Not so. Great presenters go, guy in the third row, two from the left, I have a problem with him. I don't know why. And and I don't know that I necessarily can solve his problem, but I'm going to be paying special attention to him because in fact, I know he's a notably higher rank than most people in the room. You can't manage a group of people. You can only manage individuals. You also can only present to individuals. And this is really, we're ahead of ourselves here because we're talking about presenting to the audience, which is phase three, but really it's a fundamental. And people say all the time, I want to make eye contact with the group. Well, how the heck do you do that? Where's the group? Right? You, the group doesn't have eyes. <laughs> individuals have eyes. Okay. Once you stop thinking about the audience as an audience and start thinking them as individuals who all happen to be in the same room, making eye contact with those individuals makes a lot more sense. If you start on the right hand end of the front row and you look at each person in turn and then start on the second row in a very regimental way, obviously you'll look, you'll look nervous. 
it looks like you have a bunch of rules on how to look at people. Okay. So here's a simple suggestion. Now, some of you will struggle with this because it's part two and is really addressing part three. Part one is your content. Part two is your gestures and your physical presentation style, the speed of your voice and so on. And part three, of course, is the audience. And this is part two and it's not content. But when it comes to presenting to an audience, here's the standard. Randomly make eye contact with every person in the room twice. Okay. Now, look, if you always start, want to start with the person in the right front, no problem there. That's fine. Totally fine. Just obviously don't go down the row or don't go around the room. In, in a conference room, there have been times, I admit, where I have gone around the table um, because I was standing at the end of the table and it's not a great position to be in, but there it is. It happens. If you want to go around and then go around again, there's no problem at all. Now, when you're really good and you know your content, we recommend you make eye contact with the person who is most engaged in the decision or the thought or the idea that you're presenting about. If you're presenting a plan for rolling out a new product and part of it is finance, even if the finance guy doesn't like that part of the plan, when you're talking about finance, you don't speak to the marketing guy. Because the finance guy will think you're avoiding him when you're talking about finance. When you talk about finance, look at the finance people in the room. That's easy. And don't say, well, it's uncomfortable. We don't care. You want to be good? You fight through the discomfort. So first rule, make eye contact with everyone twice in the room during the course of your presentation. The second rule is make eye contact with the person who is most likely to be most affected by that part of the presentation. Now, you're probably saying, well, how do I know that? It's not hard, guys. Go back and look at your presentation. Ask yourself who in the room has special interest in that at a given time. Now, you might say, well, it's my boss and his peers, or it's my boss and the rest of my teammates, and the boss is going to be the one that makes the decision. Okay, I, I would say yes, then you're making more contact, eye contact with your boss than with anyone else in the room, and... There are times when teammates of yours are going to be involved. And if that's the case, when they're going to be more involved on part A versus part B, make eye contact during part A with the guy who's going to be involved in part A of your project or your process or your new idea, whatever it might be. Okay. The third rule about making eye contact is when someone asks a question, and we've covered this in a previous cast, you must make eye contact with that person while they're asking the question. The only other place you would want to look is away from everybody else, down at the floor or up at the ceiling or off in the distance as you're listening. The last thing you want to be doing is making eye contact with someone else in the room. When person A is asking you a question, you never make eye contact with person B. Okay, That's disrespectful to person A. And it implies something about person B's involvement in the question that's often misleading or is misunderstood by an audience. Yeah. Like, can you believe this guy is asking this question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, when you get a question, and again, we, we covered this in a previous cast about handling questions from an audience. But when Ozan is in the audience asking a question of Horseman, Horseman accepts the question. I'm not going to go into how to do that. We went through all the facial expressions and body language and gestures that you use when you're answering questions. It's a great cast, folks. I recommend you listen to it. Very few people do it well. And smiling is included. I start my answer with eye contact on mic. 
I include everyone else in the room, unless it's an exceptionally short answer. If it's a two minute or a one minute long answer and there's 10 people in the room, I make sure I make eye contact with everybody else in the room. And then I finish my eye contact on that question with eye contact back at Mike. That's how you do it. If you don't include everyone else, it's easier for people in the audience to believe that the answer only applies to the questioner. And you don't want that because you want more people on board. You want them figuring out how that answer applies to them. That keeps them focused on your content, your presentation, and increases the chances that you'll be able to gain consensus or agreement or voting, you know, have people vote for whatever it is you want them to vote on. So those are just some simple rules about eye contact. Now, guys, we are at the 50,000 foot level when it comes to eye contact. We are. And there's more, and we'll do a chapter two or chapter three. And I'm just going to say it very briefly. We'll come back to this in a future cast. When you make eye contact with somebody, when I'm looking at Mike and then I turn and I look at Wendy in a presentation, if you don't have to think about your content and you don't have to think about your behavioral gestures because you've, you've done it so well, once your eyes make eye contact with someone else in the room, I recommend you train yourself to smile, perhaps with your mouth, depending upon whether or not you're talking, but with your eyes as well when you're presenting to an audience. Now, you might say, gee, that sounds like high-level stuff. Well, it is, but it's totally doable for anybody who's listening to this cast. When I go from Mike to Wendy, the first thing I thought is think, think of when I look at Wendy is, oh, that's Wendy. I like Wendy, even if I don't like Wendy. And what that causes me to do is smile with my eyes. And we can get very technical about the structure of your face and all kinds of other things. But you would not believe how many presenters make eye contact with everybody. And one of the things they do is they have their head in the middle and then they cut their eyes over to the left and over to the right. Guys, final point on eye contact. When you make eye contact with someone in the audience, your eyes must be looking straight ahead, meaning you must turn your head to make eye contact. Hmm. Okay. Good point. Yeah. Dude, if you don't, people don't think you're making eye contact. They think you're checking on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And guys, I'm going to say one more time. We are scratching the surface here. It's going to be a hundred cast on presenting in part because I love it because you can, guys, you can be so much better and it can be broken down to these kinds of details. Yeah. We're at the 50,000 foot level folks, but don't make the mistake of thinking, well, okay, I'll, I'll start focusing on this when Mark really shows the, no, 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 tells no, me no, the no, real no. secret. Yeah. Like, no, no, this is, this stuff here, even at the 50,000 foot level is important and effective. Yeah. You can do all the stuff I just said. Exactly. You can do it now. Yeah. That's yeah, the point. Now. Do it now. Yeah. Don't wait. Okay, so let's let's raise it up a level. We talk about you know eye contact. Let's let's talk more generally about facial expressions because, of course, if you're having a conversation with an individual, like facial expressions carries a lot of content, right? I, it does, and more importantly, the the problem is our facial expressions, generally speaking, as humans, are geared toward face to face conversations. I'm amazed, though, that I talk to people on the phone and it's clear to me that they're not engaged in the conversation because I can't hear, pardon me for saying this, people are going to hate me for saying it, but I can't hear their facial expressions on the phone. It's because they're not making any, because they're not engaged in the conversation. And I know when you're engaged, when you're talking to me based on your facial expressions, if you're face to face with me. So therefore, 
in reverse, I can tell if you're not engaged based on whether or not I can hear your facial expressions in our conversation over the phone. That's one of the reasons why we encourage Skype or video chat or whatever when managers do one-on-ones. But your facial expressions are geared to somebody three to four feet from you, which is how the human body is made so that our voice at a natural voice level, I know you guys are going to laugh at this. Mark thinks about weird stuff, but guys, your ability to breathe in a natural, relaxed way and to talk, your physiology is based on being able to have a conversation with somebody who can hear you three or four feet away. If you're having a conversation with somebody 10 feet away, you'll discover that you have to adjust your breathing patterns. What this says is physiologically, we're cued to having conversations with people who are about three or four feet away from us. The problem is we then learn at an early age to have facial expressions that make sense to somebody three or four feet away from us. And I didn't learn this until a very, very dear friend of mine, someone I'll never forget, but unfortunately, me being stupid, I've lost touch with, was very involved in theater. And she sent me a picture of, of the cast and I'm not a theater person, even though it, it always impresses the heck out of me when it's done well. And she sent me a picture and I said, Oh my God, what is that on your face? And she laughed and said, that's theater makeup. I'm like, you look like a clown. <laughs> I didn't actually say that, <laughs> you but, said but, that good. but no, I didn't. But, but that's what I was thinking. Like, Oh my God, look at the rouge, look at the eye. And she says, dude, that's how you do it in the theater. People are so far away and the lights are so bright on stage from a hundred feet. I look made up normally, but face to face, I look like a clown. I mean like, whoa, dude, that's really, looks like somebody hit you in the cheekbone 20 times. And she said, yeah, that's just theater makeup because we know we're not talking to somebody three or four feet from us. And so normal makeup is by definition, not effective. Same thing with presenting to an audience. You're talking to individuals, but at a distance of 10 or 20 feet, and you have to overdo your facial expressions in order for them to see them in a way that it supports your message at the time. Our facial expressions, if you will, are set at a volume that work three to four feet away. From 20 rows away, you won't see the subtleties. Mike, here's what happens. I'm sorry, guys. This is a, I, I don't want to be on the soapbox, but I want you guys to understand it's totally possible for anybody listening to me to become a great presenter. And we're going to break it down into in excruciating detail. And, you know, a few thousand of you are going to adopt this and go, oh my gosh, I got promoted for no other reason. I think nobody else will agree with this because of my presentation. I'm saying, so, yeah, dude, you can, you absolutely can. This is manager tools. This is career tools. This is what we teach you. It's doable. It's totally doable. But, but look, you walk into the room and you're told to be natural. And so you start talking in your natural voice and the natural voice that your brain tells you to talk in is meant for somebody three to four feet away from you. Now, you know, you have to raise your voice a little bit, but then you raise your voice, but you don't change your facial expressions. And the combination of your raised voice and average facial expressions, normal facial expressions is confusing to a person 15 feet away from you. They see a dichotomy, an uncertainty, a disconnect between how you're behaving with your voice and how you're behaving with your face. And that's one of the things that causes people's brains, the way back lizard part of your brain to say, I'm concerned that what I'm seeing is not in concert. And that's not good. Now, look, some of you are saying, well, Mark, I kind of have big facial expressions. Good. And it still needs to be bigger. So I want you to be thinking about bigger 
facial expressions. Now, I, I wish there was a better word than that. And as we delve into this in the future in more detail, we'll, we'll share more specifics. But I'll give you a good example. Whatever smile you would normally have with a person talking three to four feet away from you, look at the mirror and make it bigger, literally a wider smile. In other words, more tension in your facial muscles to make your mouth have a bigger smile. I know many, many people who, when they smile, they don't show teeth. Guys, if you don't know it, the human condition is such that that is not well regarded by the people. You are losing the opportunity to make an emotional connection with your audience when you smile without your teeth. If you smile without your teeth, you've got to learn to start showing teeth when you smile. I often say that high eyes have an easier time being a better presenter. It's not that high eyes are necessarily better presenters in all cases. It just takes a little bit more work for the D's or C's uh, and sometimes the S's to really, really get to it. But once they get to it, anybody can be fabulous because high eyes are, are more comfortable laughing than D's or S's or C's. And smiling in a presentation is closer to laughing than it is smiling in a three to four foot conversation. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you back here again next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.